Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. On this week's episode, in the red corner, Julia Roberts embarks on a rip-roaring rampage of Machiavellian mischief as she attempts to derail her BFF Dermot Mulroney's wedding to Cameron Diaz. From 1997, it's my best friend's wedding. Michael and Julianne have been best friends for years. The one constant thing in my life is that he'll always be there. But they were never more than that. Call me, four in the morning, whatever, we gotta talk. Until he popped the question. I called because I met someone. To someone else. Well. We're getting married. He was in love with me every day for nine years. Me? I can see why. Look, she has known him for what, like five seconds? I can't lose him, George. I'm a busy girl. I've got four days to break up a wedding and steal the bride's feather. (laughs) While in the blue corner, J-Lo finds that the worst thing that can happen when you're a professional wedding planner is falling for the groom, even if he is prime rom-com era Matthew McConaughey from 2021. It's the wedding planner. Explain to me how you have a career in making everybody else's dreams in love come true, but in your own life. You know, Dad, it's okay. While Mary was planning everyone else's love life, she didn't have one of her own. Mary, you haven't been on a date in two years. You can't avoid love forever. You know those who can't do teach? Those who can't wed. Plan. So fate stepped in. So what connects these films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. You will never be Jello. I'm Alex Zane. <laughs> I'm Chris Tilly. <laughs> right then, my best friend's wedding versus the wedding planner. You'll never be Jello. You'll never be J-Lo. Never be Jello. Ooh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Is that a connection that I've yes. just come up with? I like it. Yeah. I like it. Your choices this week, Victoria. I know you hate this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there a particular reason why you pick these movies? Uh, yes, thanks, Alex. There is. Great. I like a rom-com, as you, you know, do. but I do like a wedding comedy even more. Mm. And would you like to know why? 
tell me why. Because uh, you to write a to write a wedding comedy, you have to give the audience what they want. Otherwise, it doesn't qualify as a wedding comedy. So you have to hit certain beats. You have to, mm. but you still have to tell the story in a fresh and surprising way. Otherwise, why bother? This feels like mm. the voice of experience. Mm. Has, has anyone around this table ever written a wedding comedy? Have you? Have you? Show of hands. I have. <laughs> but also, I do think with these two, I think it is a little bit of a fa- before. Yeah, I think it's a fair fight because. <laughs> what? Do you even know this? So, I do because okay. I think they've both got a hero like so rom-coms and especially wedding comedies are like quite traditional and they're quite small c conservative and both these heroes are doing a bad thing capital letters bad thing because they're stealing the groom so you've got such a challenge in the writing which is how do you make them likeable if you do mm-hmm. if you maybe you haven't succeeded in one of them perhaps but how do you make them likeable still give the audience what they want or not and still qualify as a wedding comedy which I think mm-hmm. they both do um and I, I mean, My Best Friend's Wedding is an absolute standard bearer when it comes to wedding comedies, okay. even though it ends the way it does. And I do think The Wedding Planner is a bit of a cheeky contender. Okay, interesting. Really and also you picked the My Best Friend's Wedding because it's... 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 Chris will know. <laughs> it's... What? It's 25th anniversary this year. Oh, is oh, it? I yeah. Know. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, the, the maths, yeah. I, that's an also another reason. How do you know that? Well, let's do it that week. <laughs> <laughs> Also, it's International Women's Day today, the day we're recording this. And I thought, what better way to celebrate that a week than late. talk about a week late <laughs> women being scared of being fat and lonely. Yeah. It's funny because the woman on the show was late to this recording as well. So. <laughs> 20 minutes late, showed was up and started. 20 minutes late. Started, started talking about her outfit. <laughs> I mean, it would be insulting if it wasn't true. This is meant that you've betrayed me there and you know you have. <laughs> I'm sorry, Vicky. Shall that we might, talk about the film? Do you know, there's a, there's a lecture on while we're recording um, that is about how to be an ally without mansplaining. <laughs> we should probably be watching that. Is instead. it a bloke doing it? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's probably just stand there and shut up. <laughs> yeah, and nod when she speaks. <laughs> okay, the clue you gave on last week's show, Victoria, was... Groomed for lies. Mm, Chris, you followed up on Twitter with... Don't tell the bride. We are on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. Guesses chased us to the altar. Just one correct guess this week, Chris. <gasps> what does perfect. that mean? It's perfect. We oh, got it right. Wow. Oh, yeah. hooray. Good we, for me. We got the balance right. We, well done, Vicky. Yeah, well done, both of you. Thanks. Two clues. Yeah. Two clues, yeah. Uh, so well done to our proper champion, Ryan D. Congratulations, Ryan. Your prize is to join us on that classic and totally normal pre-wedding ritual of drunk horse riding. Because when you need a comedy scenario for a wedding movie, it's time to dig out that old horse riding script you never sold. <laughs> It's weird. (laughs) We'll get there. Let's do the connection section. I'll start. Couples who don't have a song that is theirs. Yep. Yep. Uh, Can I just start with my strongest one? Go. (laughs) Getting stuck to the dick of a sculpture. It's just bizarre, (laughs) isn't it? Twice. It's such a rip as well. So specific. Yeah. The eyes thing, whatever. But the hand thing as well, it's meant to be their little sort of moment of cuteness. It's so weird. Anyway, there you go. Mm. Brides who secretly want their husbands to change profession to work for their dads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Those same guys marrying into money. Mm. Yeah. They're, uh, yeah, wealthy blonde brides. Mm. Uh, engaged men who behave wholly inappropriately shortly before their wedding. Uh, pretty mm. much everything Matthew McConaughey does and uh, Dylan McDermott's finger sucking. Yeah. Mm. I forgot about that. We'll get on to that. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, I think the weird thing is, at the time of making both these movies, 1997 and 2001, you could probably watch the behaviour of Matthew McConaughey and Dylan McDermott's characters and go, ah, they're just guys. Yeah. But watching them in 2022, they do both come across as massive dicks, a lot more than I think they did on the first watch when these were released. Yeah. Mm, I wouldn't know about The Wedding Planner. I'm trying to think what I thought about him... Yeah, I think I was too I was too obsessed with how bad she was being to actually think about what he was doing. And this time watching yeah. it, I was thinking about what he was doing and about Dermot Mulroney. Yes, character. he's yeah, he's a bit of a nothing, really, isn't he? It's interesting. No, I think he's bad. I think he's really he is, bad. But, yeah, he's not. He doesn't. He's not an he's, angel. He's a bad person. I think he plays it in a very clever way, though, because he plays that character very stupid. And I think you yeah. have to be stupid sure. for him to get away with some of the things he does. Like he's just oblivious to what he's doing as opposed to being a schemer. Yeah. He definitely doesn't deserve to be happy. <laughs> uh, Brie Turner. Yeah. So she is the bride being comforted by Jennifer Lopez right. at the start of Wedding Planner. She is in the dance sequence mm. at the start of My Best Friend's Wedding. Oh, is she? She's one of the, yeah, she's oh, one of the bridesmaids dancing. Brilliant. That's uh, all I got. Yeah. Uh, big speeches about love that use confectionery as a metaphor. Uh, Jello in My Best Friend's Wedding yeah. and M&M's, I believe they are, that she's eating and talking about the artificial flavourings <laughs> in the colours. I mm. never even thought. Mm. It's brilliant. Yeah. I've got a lot of material on the M&M's for Thursday's episode. Mm. Oh, good. A lot. Um, car chasers in both and uh, leads who both have very specific character attributes that are mentioned and then never really referenced again for the entire movie. Julia Roberts being a food critic mm. yeah. and J-Lo being a Scrabble champion and or also, playing competitive Scrabble. And also being quite fussy or like what it would have been called neurotic at the time. Mm. But, you know, she's like, oh, my hair is vaguely loose and so I'm going to freak out. And you expect Matthew McConaughey to be like the big mess, like a big dog. Mm. And he's not. Like, they did make me think of, what's that film with Tom Hanks in it? Turner and Hooch mm. that we did. And he's a neat freak and then he gets this big disgusting dog. And I was like, Matthew McConaughey is the dog. But it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't really pay off like that, which is a ship. Right, then on Thursday, Chris will be loving it when a plan comes together, which means today I'm asking all of you to take a long, hard look at the person you consider your best friend and ask yourself, do you really trust them? Let me take you on a journey. Julianne is a successful career woman. And with it being 1997, because she's a successful career woman, she has no family, no long-term partner, and her best friend is a gay man. Turns out he's only her new best friend because her old best friend is Michael, played by Dylan McDermott and or Dermot Mulroney. <laughs> and he's getting married to the perkiest woman in the world, TM. Well, not on her watch, so Jules goes about being, and this is the most often quoted description of her character, so don't shoot the messenger, a massive bitch <laughs> and trying to break them up. Thankfully, Julianne's evil streak is offset by being actual Julia Roberts, <laughs> so you know things are going to be okay in the end. Then you watch her deliver an uncomfortably passive-aggressive maid of honour speech before playing her and Michael's song as the couple's first dance and you realise it's not going to be okay. It's really weird and awkward and totally unresolved. Why we never got the sequel, my best friend's new wife's boating accident, I'll never know. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, my best friend's wedding. Ah. Oh. Histories with this movie. Your choices, V, you go first. Well, I've only seen it once before. So, and I don't remember. It was just, I would have been hungover. I was a student and just watched it. And I'd actually forgot, I, refer I referenced it a lot. 
But that's the thing with wedding comedies, because you know they hit certain beats, they do kind of like blend into one a little bit. But annoyingly, I'd actually forgotten the the nuance of the ending. I we'll get to it. Um, the, but the one thing I did remember was the dance with Rupert Everett. Okay, because it's fucking awesome. So <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. Is it? Yes. <laughs> Why? Because he's just like you would so much rather be with George than moping after whatever his name is. Even Michael. Right. Yeah. Who cares about Michael? No one. Yeah. She does. I mean, no one knows why. Just watched a movie which established how much she cares about him. <laughs> yeah, but that's why it's such a weird film, isn't it? Because he doesn't really do anything yeah, he until doesn't... he sucks her finger. You don't really <laughs> get he it. He doesn't give us a lot. No. Okay, Chris, when did you see this? Uh, same time. Sorry, when it came out, probably on video, I would say. Uh, I've only seen it the once. I thought it was really interesting and unusual, and I thought it was quite different to the romantic comedies I was used to watching. Um, but it also made me way too anxious and quite unhappy. And so that's why I've not revisited it in and the intervening years. And did you think the poster years. missold it? Because the, <laughs> the poster is not that film. The film is weirder than the poster, but the poster makes it seem it's very like fuzzy. Hmm. She's not in her normal outfit. She's in that beautiful purple dress that she's got, but she's got like Julia... Uh, Roberts's character's got a very muted palette in this film. Isn't she a giant on the poster? <laughs> she's, and she's just got, her. And it, no, she's, <laughs> yeah. she's got Cameron Diaz in her hand or something. Yeah, it's like, it's the... like giant. It, that's. It wasn't that. I was expecting giant <laughs> Julia Roberts. <laughs> um, oh, imagine your surprise! No, that's what I liked. What was different about it though is because you were used to seeing her playing these archetypes, and then yeah. to see her playing someone who you don't really like, and, I don't and you can't if there really. There was a fuss because the poster makes it look like every other wedding comedy. Yeah, and there it was isn't. a fuss. There was a fuss. Okay. Mm. I mean, there's a whole article in uh, Variety about the dark yeah. nature of this film and how actually there's a really dark underbelly to what's going on on screen. Not a very good article, though. Um, how about you, Alex? <laughs> did you read it? I did read it. I thought this was very short. Was, yes. Yes. Yeah, this took you This took you an hour. It really, I, I, saw, I read that. I saw, I read the title. I was like, this is going to, I'm going to sit back and going to read pages. This is three paragraphs. And I'm like, mm. is there any points? And it was really mainly stating the bleeding obvious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, how about you, Al? Uh, I've seen the second half of this movie on TV once and I remember really enjoying the second half. Um, as it turns out, the second half is more enjoyable when you've watched the first half. Mm, so wow. I enjoyed it more this time round, watching it as a complete film. Mm. Great. <laughs> the screenwriters will be chuffed. Such a compliment. <laughs> do you want to know a bit about it? I do. Okay. Because I think we're going to talk about someone uh, I might have mentioned recently. Are we? Ron Bass. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, of course. yes, 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 we are. Uh, so I'll start with the director. PJ Hogan uh, was coming off the back of the massive surprise hit that was Muriel's Wedding, mm. which he'd both written and directed. His best, his best wedding movie, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so this is his American debut, uh, like you said, written by Ronald Bass. Um, it's his second film we're covering. Uh, he also wrote Sleeping with the Enemy, which we had a lot of fun with. Yeah, that's good. Check out that show. And uh, he also co-wrote and won an Oscar for writing... Rain Man. With... Who? Barry. Barry Levinson? Barry Morrow. You were oh, talking Barry about Morrow. him on the Super Sorry, Mario's. I'm getting them confused. I'm getting them confused then. Yeah. Why? Who did you think we were going to talk about? No, well, Ron Bass, I, uh, what I wanted to talk... I didn't get time to talk about it last the, uh, the other day, but... 
the the Ronettes. Do you know about the Ronettes? So this is his group of assistants. Yes. Who there's a little bit of controversy <laughs> yeah. around. Vicky, yeah. you're going to like Why don't you this. tell us? Bad <laughs> okay, so this is how it's described in Wikipedia. Mm. Um, a small controversy has arisen over Bass's use of assistants to help him write screenplays. Bass employs six or seven mostly female assistants that one journalist dubbed the Ronettes. According to Bass, his assistants help him in research and also in critiquing his scripts. They enable him to write, revise or polish a comparatively large number of screenplays each year. And so... Um, Happy International Women's Day, Victoria. The, the Hollywood Reporter did an article about people using hotels and bars instead of offices these days. And he's the centrepiece of this article. Um, him in uh, a hotel bar with the Ronettes. Um, he's 75 years old. Um, his development team of women are all in their early 30s and all quite attractive. Mm. Not not a man to be seen. <laughs> and yes, uh, the people have claimed that maybe they should be getting some of the credit for these many scripts that he can churn out every year. I tell you year. what, I'm torn, I'm torn two ways with that one because on the surface, yeah, of course they should receive credit. It's like, do you remember like people talk about like, not Caravaggio, like Titian would have people painting in little bits of battles, mm. little bits of scenes, but everyone's like, oh, look at this amazing Titian. It's like, but at least if you worked on that, it's like one of the greatest paintings ever. The dialogue in my best friend's wedding, there's no woman in the world that speaks like that <laughs> at all ever. So it's like, on one hand, I'm like, they should get credit. On the other hand, they're fucking rubbish. So it's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, he just had a hit before this with Dangerous Minds. Uh, he'd go on to write his last really big hit, which was Entrapment a couple of years later. They're all so good, those films. <laughs> What's happening? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, they're all brilliant. Genuinely. I was. I thought I thought one of us really hates Entrapment. No. Is it you, Chris? We all like yeah, it. I, I love know. Entrapment. I don't know if I like Entrapment. <laughs> I can only remember one scene, obviously. Yeah, obviously. This is what we said last time yeah. it came up. Yeah, right. We both agreed that was all you can remember. Yeah, but that's why it should be. It deserves a rewatch. We should do Entrapment. Definitely. Okay. Okay. Uh, so according to uh, Ron Bass, uh, the process of making this movie began in the early 90s when he was sitting with his then agents at CAA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to be Ronald Bass. <laughs> we see a problem on the horizon, Ron. Uh, they're called the Renettes. Uh, <laughs> um, so they uh, were presenting different ideas and someone showed him a story about a woman who found out about an old boyfriend's marriage and immediately realised she shouldn't have let him go. And Ron's immediate reaction was, this should be a movie. Where are my girls? <laughs> um, <laughs> he'd also attended a massive society wedding in Chicago and realised it would make the perfect setting for a romantic comedy. He says, such a long weekend, plenty of interesting things can happen. That was the birth of the movie. So he writes the script, but not everyone is particularly interested because of its ending. He says, I was told by one exec it would never get made because the lead doesn't get the guy yeah, in the end. That's the thing. That's why it's so, it's such <clears> an <throat> odd but brilliant thing. I'm slagging off the dialogue. The dialogue is irritating, but the way that they make the leaps and you're still there and you still come out of this film with all those feelings that you expect from a wedding comedy, it is masterful, really. I'm going to say right now, I think the script is quite phenomenal in this movie, that it keeps you guessing about what's going to happen because there are moments in this and I think it fluffs it a bit at the end but there are moments in this where you were watching it go I do not know how this is going to work out happily yeah. for people mm. especially Julianne um, but also everyone yeah. I don't know what the result is going to be and if I hadn't seen it the first time I would be thinking I don't know who he's going to end up with as well they're the same issues in the as in challenge writing challenge in the wedding planner because by the time you're going into act three because the the sort of the, the bride-to-be and J-Lo's 
Massimo was yeah Massimo the her partner <laughs> pretend partner yeah. they're both set up as nice people and we know how it's going to end because we've seen the poster and it is a wedding comedy so chances are it's going to end that way but we, they've been set up as nice so as a writing challenge how do you get us all to the right place where we are not upset and we've got what we wanted mm. it's, it's such a brilliant thing to be able to pull off well other people thought so as well because he boarded a flight to Hong Kong did Bass and when he got off and checked into his hotel there was a fax waiting for him that said it's been bought for a shit ton of money and Julia Roberts is attached to star. Can you imagine how quickly you get to that minibar? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. I'm here for work, but to cancel everything. Uh, it came at the right time for Julia Roberts, though. Uh, she was coming off a couple of flops. Uh, her last big hit was way back in 93 for the Pelican Brief. Uh, since then, she'd been involved in the chemistry fee pairing uh, with Nick Nolte in I Love Trouble and uh, was just off the back of Stephen Frears' massive gothic horror flop, Mary Riley. So oh, yeah. she needed a hit and went back to what she knew. And it worked. It reminded audiences that she was still America's sweetheart. And obviously she'd go on to make the massive Notting Hill just a couple of years later. So do you want to know who the other person was? You might know already. The other person who was apparently offered this before Julia Roberts, but Ron Bass says she doesn't, he doesn't know if she knew she was offered it or it stopped because Julia said yes, but there was another name on the list. Was it Sandra? It was. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Sandy B. Sandra Bullock was the other person who was going to be offered it. Ron Bass said outside of Julia Roberts or Sandra Bullock, no one else could have played that character. If it wasn't going to go to Sandra, it was going to go to Julia, which I, thinking about it, and I really did think long and hard about this, it works completely with Sandra Bullock and it doesn't work very well with almost anyone else. I've got some big thoughts on that for later. Right. Big thoughts. Right. So with Roberts as the lead, she got to say who she wanted in the cast. So for Michael, she wanted Dermot Mulroney. The studio demanded on seeing a couple of others. Mm, Dylan McDermott. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ed Burns tested. Yeah, he was big at the time, wasn't he? He was. Um, and Russell Crowe. Uh, tried out for the role of Michael uh, a screen test that PJ Hogan uh, describes as one of the worst script readings uh, readings I've ever seen. Wow, Mm. that's harsh. Yeah. Considering what a good actor Russell Crowe is. Yeah, he says uh, it's in his book uh, From Hollywood with Love about romantic comedies. Uh, He said Russell was sitting in front of Julia. He grabbed the script and he read her lines (laughs) in a totally monotonous way without looking at her once. Even Julia stretched across the table to within inches of his face, trying to at least make eye contact. He wouldn't look at her. Then at the end of the casting, he came up to me and said, I think that went pretty well. <laughs> classic, classic crow. <laughs> at that moment, I knew he was not going to be part of my best friend's wedding. <laughs> so Julia gets her wish. Dermot Mulroney is cast, uh, but she didn't get her wish for Drew Barrymore to be in the Kimmy role mm-hmm. uh, because they said if you're having Dermot Moroni, we want Cameron Diaz because they really like Cameron Diaz. Weird that this was Cameron Diaz's big break. Mm. I always remember her in The Mask, which was 94. Yeah. And I just assumed it went from there. But after The Mask, she made a lot of stuff that no one ever saw. And this really, this is the movie that mm. put her on the A-list. Mm. It is. Yeah, you always forget where it comes in the timeline. Mm. Uh, so they test screened it and it got terrible Terrible reactions, uh, which meant reshoots. And when we come to those scenes, I'll tell you what they are. Two very big change. Well, one very big change, one smaller change mm. that uh, the studio was very happy with. But it was a big hit after those changes. 300 million on a $40 million budget. 
Read a lot of people calling it one of the best romantic comedies of all time online. You read a lot of people. Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether I agree. What's your favourite rom-com? My favourite rom-com is probably the Ashton Kutcher, Amanda Peet rom-com. <laughs> <laughs> all about you. <laughs> I really like it. Okay, all right, sorry, I'm laughing. Are you being serious? Yeah, yeah I think so, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Fine. It had Jet on the soundtrack and I was really into Jet at that what, point. What, from Gladiator? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about you? Uh, I like Say Anything, Cameron Crowe. Oh, you do, don't you? Yeah, I like so a Cameron Crowe oh, romantic comedy because yeah. I like Jerry Maguire as well. Yeah. Like He's really good at them. Well, he, yep. he was really good at them. Mm. Uh, Aloha. Um, <laughs> what's yours? Oh, it just it changes depending on my mood. I, I do like While You Were Sleeping, which we did a few years ago. Mm. Um, and But my favourite, this is one of my favourite films of all time, is When Harry Met Sally, obviously. Mm. Sure. Yeah, um, but I do there. have a big, you know, there is a place in my heart, they're always for my best friend's wedding and um, four weddings as well. Love four weddings. Okay. And funeral. That's what it's. This is his full title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You hadn't seen it. Yeah, yeah, you just don't like. You don't just like the four weddings part. <laughs> no, I like. I, everybody likes that funeral speech. Yeah. So yeah, me it comes too. as a whole. Yeah. yeah, you can't start divvying it up. So let's go through this movie. What an opening! Yeah, I love it. It's great and it works so well. This Burt Bacharach, Hal David song, Wishing and Hoping. This whole thing, obviously not in the script. This was PJ Hogan who came up with this, choreographed by Tony Basil. Ah. It's great. It works Good a job. treat as well. How's your tap dancing going? I forgot to ask you. Uh, Natty went to LA for work, so we you had haven't to started. No, you're gonna go though. You are gonna do it. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel really, I feel quite strongly <laughs> about it. I mean, I wasn't. I mean, I, well, I sort of just I've cancelled it because we weren't sure when we were gonna do yeah, it. But, but I, you've postponed it. Well, I've got my money back, so I'd have to book oh, it again. Oh no, don't! Yeah. Make sure you do. You were really, you really want me to start tap dancing? Yes. Because I was so pleased for you that you, I think you, there's something you love and then you just did it. Mm. That's always and, a, a, a finding it, your power. And then we're going to do Billy Elliot on the podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's all planned out, Alex. Yes. Okay, well, there's no tap dancing in this opening, uh, but it is great because I think what PJ Hogan was trying to do was basically set this apart from your average rom-com and say, look, this isn't going to be what you expect. This movie isn't going to run the traditional rom-com tropes. It's going to be something slightly more subversive and different. And I think there's a scene where if you didn't have this opening number, it wouldn't work as well. It would come too far out of left field. So Mm. I think this does a good job of excusing the weirdness later on. I know what you mean, yeah. Creating a sort of heightened reality. Mm. Yes. So we meet Julianne, played by Julia Roberts, who is a food critic. Everyone, very important, remember, she's a food critic. Uh, It's a very specific job. So that is definitely going to come back in this film. You know why I love, I love, I love it when you've got a brainstorm. What job does someone do in a rom-com? It's my, one of my favourite mm. jobs. Mm. Because the women always has to have a, you have to have a slightly exciting job and it can't be anything to do with children because that's uh, gross. <laughs> but it's <laughs> ideal if a man has got something to do with children, which we'll get on into the next film. Uh, but Food Critic is just 90s. But you cannot beat that. It's fucking it, perfect. It does come back in one line. One line. She gets, she gets called... A big-haired food critic. Two-faced, big-haired food <laughs> critic. Sorry, and she does use the creme brulee jello analogy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. she prefixes that analogy by going, I'm better with food because we've all forgotten you're a fucking food critic at this point. <laughs> I mean, I don't think... Because it's, it's over an hour and a half because later. Because rather than have her sabotage the wedding by fucking up the food, <laughs> she, there's some corporate espionage, which is actually quite boring, and something about an email. 
I don't think it needs to be said, but this obviously isn't how being a food critic works either. You well, don't you tell, tell them, them on the spot. <laughs> yes. the, the waiter. Well, you tell the waiter as well. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just I'm insane. Fuck. I'm on minimum wage. I don't <laughs> yeah. care what you this fucking write. This isn't my fucking restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like the director waiting outside a screening that we attend and us queuing up to tell him what we thought. <laughs> uh, but she describes the food that she tastes as inventive and confident, which is quite good because that's what she is for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, and also, I guess you couldn't describe the food as a fucking monster. <laughs> And conflicted <laughs> and quite sad. Uh, we get to meet her BFF, George, played by Rupert Everett. Uh, he says, when I got the part, it was literally two lines in the script. I thought it was kind of career aside at first. PJ Hogan made me test like three or four times for the film. I kept saying, PJ, what can I do? There's nothing I can do. It wouldn't be the, it wouldn't be the film it is without him. It wouldn't. And also, career aside seems... Pretty strong because he wasn't doing a lot of stuff at that moment. Yeah. He'd obviously made it big earlier, then tried a pop career, which didn't oh, work. Yeah. And uh, and this was his, like Cameron Diaz. This was a movie that put him back on the map. He says he came into it, though, with a bad attitude. Um, but it was a complete turning point for him. Yeah, I mean, I can remember what a moment it was. Like, he was the story. Yeah. every He was on all the magazine covers mm-hmm. and everyone was wanting to interview him and he was on the chat show circuit and... Yes, just it was just a hell of a turnaround, but massive. The perfect role for the perfect actor at the perfect time. Yeah, yeah. Although he seemed to then go out of his way to not be. I don't know that he wanted to be cast as the kind of George and stuff afterwards. Well, I think that's what he meant when he was talking about career suicide. Was being the gay best friend is not where he wanted to be pigeonholed, mm. Rupert Everett, as mm. one of the few actors ever to to come out during their career. Yeah, I don't think you then want to be playing that same role mm. in everything. I mean, he saw himself as being James Bond, you know, that's... Yeah, he did. He did. I've got a quote from him about that a little bit later. Mm. So uh, the other thing about George, uh, Ron Bass says, I wanted to write something where the smartest, best, wisest, most terrific person in the movie was gay. There wasn't anything like that in those days. This was the first time that ever really happened. Mm. But he's he's the voice of reason in this film. Yeah. But in this scene... George is the one that plants the seed yeah. that he's that this guy wants to get back with you. Yes. Um, so is he really a good friend or is he just some arsehole who enjoys watching her life implode? That's a good point because he does he consistently does the right thing apart from this one time, but it's the turning point. So. And he gets her at the end. He he ends up with her as his friend, so he stops her going off with Dylan. And, and he yes. is taking Dermot, some pleasure in watching Dermot it all. Dermot Mulroney, not Dylan McDermott. <laughs> Dermot Mulroney. Should we call, he's called his character called Michael. 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 Got I've it. not written Michael once. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, I found it quite hilarious that they picked 28 as the age. If, yeah. When we're 28, if yeah. neither of us are with someone, let's get married. It's like 30. It's just the obvious thing. And Julie Roberts is 30 in this movie, like in real life, why they pick 28? Yeah, I don't know. It's just an odd age to pick. But she gets a call from Michael and she thinks it's about fulfilling this marriage pact. Um, they'd spent one hot month together, um, but because she doesn't like love and finds it yucky, they parted ways but stayed best friends. Mm. So she calls him back. He says, hey, beautiful. The first of many things that Michael says and does that are inappropriate considering he's getting married. Uh, he seems throughout this movie to believe that he doesn't have to adjust the way he behaves towards yeah. Julianne, Jules, just now that he's engaged. 
Which yes. is an interesting question. Like, do you think he should have to behave uh, differently? No, not if there's nothing in it. Yes, I think he shouldn't suck her finger. Mm. No, this is the thing. And that doesn't happen until much, much later on. So the minute he did that, you you go back and you look through everything. You're like, you scumbag. But before he did that, it all seemed quite bloodless. You know, a little bit, you know, neutered. Because he's a bit... Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, my God. They pulled back on like, this whole thing after this scene where she's going to the airport and it's like, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And it's like the camera's gone, we're going to hold back on his face because his face is too fucking lovely. <laughs> and the minute you see it, you'll be like, oh my God, I get it. But it's like his face is not that lovely. And also his face is not Julia Roberts' face, which is that lovely. So this pulling back of who Michael is, I found that a little bit cheeky. Like yeah. he, he's not enough for that. When you compare it to Dylan McDermott in Santa Claus the movie. <laughs> <laughs> hubba hubba. But, but even him saying stuff like, I've seen you a lot more naked than that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's un- creepy. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, I think he is inappropriate. Yeah, he is. I think the way the film makes makes it work is that Kimmy, Cameron Diaz, is wholly accepting of their relationship. So it, you buy it because she's bought it and she's lovely. So you don't question it too much until the finger-sucking thing later. Mm. And it, but is she wholly accepting? Yeah, I don't think she is. She's I putting on she's, an act. She's, she's yeah. putting on an act. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't realise that at the time. That's right, it's good. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because obviously, uh, all uh, this all happens pretty fast, as mm. uh, you know, structurally, which I'm sure you're a fan of. We are. It's pre the ten minute mark. Yeah. When we've already got the catalyst, she finds out he's getting married, and she's on the way to the airport, mm. and she gives the mission statement of the movie at the ten minute it's mark. Great. Where she's like, <laughs> "I'm a busy girl. I've got exactly four days to break up a wedding, steal the bride's fella, and I haven't got one clue how to do it." Yeah, putting a clock on it is super smart. Like mm. this four day thing is awesome. It also makes it seem less of a massive bitch thing to do. Weirdly. Which is like, if you're going to the ceremony, which she obviously ultimately does, if you're going to the ceremony to do it, no one wants to be your friend and follow you on this journey. But four days, it's not two days, it just seems long enough, weirdly. Uh, Well, talking about a ticking clock, uh, we'll be back after this break. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. 
And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So, yeah, she's in Chicago, a town that Dermot Mulroney says still loves this movie. I don't know if we have any uh, any Chicagoans listening, but does Chicago still love my best friend's wedding as much as Dermot Mulroney says? We're on Twitter. (laughs) You're asking me. (laughs) No. No. Uh, So, yeah, like you said, they meet at the airport. Kimmy is there. Uh, She's happy to meet Jules because from the day I met Michael, all I've heard is Julianne this, Julianne that. And you're right. At this point, you're thinking... What a naive idiot! Yes, what did you know? <laughs> but what a sweetheart! Because mm. it's a it's a massive red flag, obviously. Like him saying that about Julianne. Um, uh, there's a nice reversal of the four days thing, where she says, "I've got four days to make you my new best friend," yep. which is lovely. Um, and then Kimmy drives like a maniac through traffic, which I think is a really nice character touch. I do too. Why do you think it is? Because she, I think we are supposed to show that she's very privileged because she's rich. She's like a billionaire, isn't she, or something? Yeah. So she doesn't have the same idea of consequences other people do because their money's always protected her and that should make you hate her. But it doesn't. She's just having fun with it. Yeah, I I wrote a similar thing. I thought it makes her seem indestructible, which that sort of sense of wealth does. Yeah. And in a similar vein... That indestructibility translates into why she doesn't see Jules as a threat because she oh, believes yeah. she's indestructible. Yeah. All from driving a car fast down a road. <laughs> so, yeah, you mentioned the dress fitting where Michael walks in and goes, I've seen you a lot more naked than that. Um, yeah. And she actually looks uncomfortable with him being there. <laughs> he doesn't immediately leave and say sorry. It is weird. She does look uncomfortable, even though we are watching it thinking that's kind of where you think you're heading. But, I don't know. It's there for a very specific reason, though. It's there because he gives her that look, like, hubba hubba, I like you, I've seen you look my naked, you look great in anything, all of that. Because she gets back on the phone to George and Mm. goes, she's toast. Yes. As in, that's why it's there, to make, to... It justifies what she's doing to mm. her, and it, reinfor- to it reinforces us. her belief that yes. he still he still loves her. Yeah. And so we sort of forgive her a little bit because it's this balancing act that they do throughout the film of making her horrible, but not so horrible she's irredeemable. Yep. And it's moments like this where you go, oh well, actually he sort of led her on a bit there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we get to see that Kimmy is no shrinking violet in the lift. She makes it clear that she gets what's going on here. She knows that Michael has put Jules on a pedestal and she says, he's got you on a pedestal and me in his arms. Who talks like that? (laughs) (laughs) It's all quite threatening though, isn't it? The, The stopping of the lift. Yeah, but I think it's because it helps because she's been so like, yeah, it's just great you're here until now and suddenly it's like, junk. Yeah, don't <laughs> fucking move. We see she's got a backbone. <laughs> it just emphasises that. I was just so distracted by the way that these two women were talking to each other. Like, oh God. she says something like, but I love Michael and there's truth there. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Oh, Ronald Bass, get those girls to give that another pass because that's not, that doesn't work. Uh, he, ultimately, he writes the scripts. I think you'll find <laughs> it. Keep. Yeah, sorry. There was yeah. no credit. You're on the credit. Because I wrote at this point, I, this is the point for me where I've I'm, I'm started to fall into the feeling that these aren't rom-com tropes and these are really interesting characters, though. Yeah. Yes, and that's good, because you still, but you still have to get the beats you expect when you saw that poster and you sat down to watch that film. We're off to a White Sox baseball game. Love baseball. Uh, Jules is being the cool BFF. Michael says of Kimmy... 
When I hug her in public, she lets me hold her as long as I want. Which initially you think, well, that's really nice. What a sweet thing to say. And then you realise a moment later, that was a dig at Jules. Yeah. What sort of guy goes, you're my best friend, I'm about to get married, but how about I remind you and actually compare you to my new my wife-to-be by telling you how much better she is than you at something? Yeah. This, this weakness that you've struggled with all your life, I'm going to hammer you with it. I'm such an asshole. He is an asshole. I, yeah, you're right. That is a really good reading of the scene. All I kept reading was... He's saying, this is why we're not together, which is mean in the spirit of, let's all put that to one side because you're here and it's a celebration and everything's brilliant. But it's so unbelievable to me that someone who looks like Julia Roberts and is Julia Roberts wouldn't ever hug anyone. It's it's such a difficult leap for me to make that this gorgeous, sunny woman would ever not hug anyone. I just got hung up on this scene where, like Chris said, Michael is doing a very bad thing. Yeah. And he does another bad thing when they go to the karaoke bar and just ignores his yeah, that's bad. wife-to-be while she's literally trying to get his attention. It's horrible. And, and, yeah. and that's the thing that I, I, I didn't like about it. I like the film, but it just makes me feel so uncomfortable so many times. Mm. I think, I don't want to put myself through this again. Yeah. She does things that make me feel uncomfortable. He does things that make me feel uncomfortable. I feel really sorry mm. for Kimmy. And it's just, it's not that pleasant an experience. I like, it's interesting. Yeah. But it's not, I don't know. It's, te- it's just a tension, isn't it? It's a strange feeling. Mm. I think as well, when they're in the karaoke bar and then it's you. It's such a weird thing, this film, that you're following Jules and she's distracting Michael with this stupid story about something they did once and mm. it's a memory that Kimmy can't get in on. Yep. But she's going to keep distracting him because she wants his attention. But yeah, like you say, there's no reason for Michael to go, oh, this is a bit, we're leaving her out and, and oh, let me explain. This is when we did this. And then when she unleashes the laugh, what's Cameron Diaz supposed to do in the face yeah, of that laugh? It's a, like, fog, is she, it's a foghorn here isn't it you know <laughs> nothing can be done um but it's weird that you're watching that scene and you're still you're supposed to root for Julia Roberts and you still do a bit it's just do you think you are I do until she she um forces Cameron Diaz to sing mm. and then you hate her because mm. that's a horrible that's thing the, to do that's the point of no return is yeah it? yeah yeah interesting and as the, but then again the script is so clever because you expect Kimmy to get up and she starts to sing and she's terrible. And in any other rom-com, she'd relax and she would just belt it out and mm. she would be awesome. Mm. But she wins the scene and wins the man because she's just herself. Yeah, and that's, into it. and that's why it's nice as well, obviously, because even Jules has to applaud her yeah. at the end and go, fucking it, You win. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the three of us did karaoke recently. Mm. Yeah. There, there's a strict... Um, Q system when you do karaoke in the UK you know you type in your request and you wait for it to come you sing it how does it work in America do you just sing whatever comes on you grab the mic you yeah. stand up and it's like oh it's this song you've never heard and you now you've got to sing it's... I mean this that karaoke bar in this song gives me the horrors because I loved I love going to karaoke and I loved going to karaoke with you but because it's private and I, it, I can't obviously sing for shit and that's why it's fun because it's just shouting it in was, a box it was the three of us shouting each other for three hours yeah, in a cell, really. <laughs> it's just so liberating. But if anybody else could hear it, it changes the flavour of the evening altogether. Yes, and I, don't want I, that. I do have videos. They will never be. They will never <laughs> see the light of day. I need you to delete, delete those videos. So then, 
Jules enacts her big plan, uh, which is going to rear its head more than once in the film. She convinces Kimmy to tell Michael to take a desk job, which is the worst thing yeah. that you could say to Michael. Because he's so authentic. This is the thing. Like He's like, I'm a, I'm a writer, goddammit. He's like, you're a fucking sports writer. Like, no shade on sports writers, but the authenticity of the thing, is that the thing? Mm. Like He's not like, I'm a beat poet and i got to travel, girl. Like, Surely if you are a sports writer and someone goes, do you want a cushy job at yeah. a Sports venue for the, like the White Sox, <laughs> yeah. and you're, you're going to be paid a shit to. Yes, yeah. That's why I, I started actually. this journey. Yeah. <laughs> so we get a, a, what is a really upsetting scene mm. in yes. the restaurant where Michael shoes just loses his shit with Kimmy, and she yeah. says, "You're so right. I'm so wrong. We settled this, and I reneged. It just wasn't fair. You have to forgive me and forget this ever happened. I'll just die." Yeah, it's really it's a good scene. It's not a traditional rom com scene. <laughs> Thing, but this is the article that we were talking about in in um, Variety, where they, they they point out that Kimmy is kind of broken. The fact that she yeah. is this like desperate, yeah. And also, why would you want to be with him as well? Like, he's mm. the sort of man that feels good when his girlfriend is crying and begging, mm. and also he's sort of coerced her into this thing, and he's shamed her for essentially trying to do like a halfway decent thing. But even if she misjudged it massively, don't rail at her in a restaurant no. about it. Like, so you don't want to be with him. So she's, then you're like, why would Julia Roberts want to be with she's, him? She's the one crying in this scene, but he's the crybaby. Yeah, he's acting like a petulant child. Yeah, um, and I, you know. Why isn't he turning around to say to her, I'll, I'll stick around for another eight months? You, she's in the last year of her course. Yeah. It's not going to be long. And like, also, why maybe can't this he? This is like a British thing, but who has a stand, not a stand up, but a screaming row with their partner in front of their mate? That to me, I was dying for that. It's like, do it in private. <laughs> it's so gross to just do it. <laughs> like, all these emotions. When Julia Roberts, your best friend, is sitting there, be like, Let's just have it. Let's just step outside for a second and scream at each other. But to do it in public, no. uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm capable. <laughs> I'm quietly capable of doing that. <sighs> I'm not coming back to yours for dinner. That's awful. What a terrible dinner that would be. <laughs> just you screaming at John Gina while Vicky and I sit there, just looking at the floor, <laughs> eating in <laughs> silence. <laughs> Fucking hell. She tried to get you a job. I'd expect your support. Which is the sort of thing she would do. And that's what you do as well. That would be the worst thing. You guys got nothing to say. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you, Vicky? Vicky, you You know. You talk to her. She's fucking impossible. I'll tell you the one good thing about this scene, though, is the fact that it shows how good Diaz is. To have gone from that karaoke bar where she was the butt of the joke to delivering this heart-wrenching scene, you're like, fucking hell, she's great in this film. But also you think she's an odd person because... She needs this man so much. She says, she says I'll die. And she doesn't mean she's going to die. But a, a woman who needs a man that like that, a man who's clearly such a prick as well, there's something missing from her life that she would throw everything away to be with him. So that, you know, that sort of starts to sour all the sweetness of her a little bit for me, which mm. is a good thing at this point. Yeah. Uh, so George comes back. Woo! Yeah, thank God. Yeah, yeah, thank God. Yeah, the voice of reason in the film returns, asks Jules really important questions, uh, like, "Do you really love him, or is this just about winning?" Perfect line. Great mm, line. Great well line. done, Rombas and the Ronettes. No one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell him you love him is what he tells us to do, which is the right option and would have sorted everything out really simply. Uh, she's not going to do that. Uh, she talks about her jealousy, though. If he was feeling what I'm feeling, then he would know how it feels, which is good 
because on one level, he's not feeling like that. So that's a clue that he doesn't love her as much as she loves him. But yeah. also it's an important line because it comes back in a little bit. Comes back. So in a very funny moment, George has told Jules to tell Michael that she loves him. And instead, Jules tells Michael George is her fiance. Mm. It's lovely. It's what the film needs. It kicks into an, another gear. Yeah, it when, does. When that when that happens, and you got you got ten minutes where it's sort of mm. transcendent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she says he came in for a few hours to uh, fuck me, <laughs> which <laughs> wasn't expecting that. No. It's one of the best ever uses of the one fuck you're allowed yeah. in a PG thirteen no, movie. Agree. agree. I was like, make it, make well it done. Yeah, it is very good. So good. Uh, so now the scene uh, that became known as the crab scene uh, because of the restaurant it's set in uh, where Rupert Everett proves uh, that he's fucking brilliant in this film. Uh, it's the sing-along scene, a brainchild of PJ Hogan, not in the script, uh, the Dionne Warwick uh, sing-along. Um, I enjoyed it. It's great and it's weird and it helped with the opening title number which sort of says, okay, this hasn't completely come out of the blue because you've already had a weird song in it. So that served its purpose there. It's a bit of a strangled route to get to it. <laughs> he met her in a mental institute where he was interviewing someone called Jerry who thought they were Dionne Warwick. Here's a Dionne Warwick song! <laughs> I found, I don't like it. I no, me neither. I'm with the scene. Yeah. I remember it, but I didn't remember how much I cringed when I was watching yeah, it. Yeah, me too. Mm. And Why? it's weird because in The Wedding Planner, <clears throat> I really wanted a, a song and dance number because fucking J-Lo's in it. And mm. so why not? And then you get it and it's like, no, I that is not what I want. I've realised now that it's, it's completely wrong. I love the opening number, mm. but this just killed me. I don't, I just, I don't like I think it's try and... I think it's trying too hard. I think that tr it's trying too hard to give everyone a funny moment in the sequence and... Yeah, as I say, I just... It doesn't make me laugh when it's like, oh, look, this big man can suddenly belt out a line from the song. Ugh, it's not... F ugh. No, it just makes me cringe. Interesting. I thought you'd like it. No. no. Good. Okay. I didn't mind him. I two, didn't two mind one. him. Yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> We've done the vote early. Uh, so, uh, George leaves. Boo. Um, Michael, though, is feeling weird, having seen Jules with George and thinking for a moment she had a fiancé. And he felt jealous, mm. which is playing into that line earlier about if he felt like I felt, he'd know how it feels. So now, as the audience, we're like, oh, actually, maybe Michael does love Jules. Yeah. Maybe he is going to end up with her. Um, Ron Bass says uh, about the writing, I wanted the audience to be in a position where they didn't know what the filmmaker was going to do because they didn't know what they wanted themselves. I think he does that perfectly. I don't yeah. know what I want and I don't know what the <laughs> film's going to do either. Yeah, I agree. Because the line that seals that, is he's like, oh, I'm so jealous and now I feel weird. And then he says, let's spend some time alone. Mm. And it's like, oh, if your fiancé had heard you say that, yeah, again, that's bad. Let, a dick. Yeah. let me sing a song in your ear on a boat. <laughs> it's like, come on, mate. Yeah. But it's just if you were struggling with how you were feeling, you do not say, I tell you what's a good idea, what will really knock this on the head <laughs> is why don't we spend some time alone? That's the worst idea you've ever had. <sighs> Yeah, but PJ Hogan said that's the scene that made him want to do the movie was the scene on the boat. Oh, really? Where she has the opportunity to tell the truth. It's yeah. sort of there and then she doesn't. And it's quite interesting the way they shot it because she's in darkness when yeah. she's supposed to do it and then she blows it and then she comes out into the light and the moment's passed and that's it. Mm. But no, he doesn't, point of no return. He doesn't tell her either. Like, Because you, you kind of half think that he might be the one to, to mm. say at this point because they've set up that he suddenly realised that maybe he has some feelings for her that he's only just realised after seeing her with George and neither of them say it. 
Mm. So when they come out from under the bridge, neither of them say, uh, Dermot Mulroney says, we were going under numerous bridges, uh, so pretty much every bridge or maybe every other, somebody leant down and yelled, Julia! <laughs> we need the pause or just blaze through like you do. Then on the eighth trip down the river, someone yelled, Dermot! And I was like, yes! <laughs> I look up and it's a friend from college. <laughs> so Dermot, not a dick, Michael a dick. Dermot, yeah. not a dick. Okay. Dermot telling funny story about boat trip. Kind of funny story. <laughs> sort of funny story. Yeah. Um, a made-up story. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> well, provided by his PR. This is how you sound self-deprecating, <laughs> Dermot. Yeah. But I'm so beautiful and don't say that. <laughs> um, we get um, an addition now to a brand new feature on Clash of the Titles, which we've been running recently. It's called... <laughs> The internet in the 90s. Yay! (laughs) So, in this edition of the internet in the 90s, how to write an email address. Oh, God, I was honestly (laughs) frothing. I was was beside myself. If you wanted to send an email in 1997, in the email address box, what you want to do, if your email is to the senior editor of Sports Illustrated, is you don't write his email address. You write his name, then senior editor, then Sports Illustrated. A letter. (laughs) And it will get to. him there's no at there's no dot no. com i love it <laughs> what is the plan with the email i'm oh. still not 100 percent clear so it's great. he the plan is to get him fired from his job no yes mm. no it's not no, i don't think it is what? it's not the plan is <laughs> to show michael he she doesn't want him to get fired she no. wants him to think oh that he that, asked him to get fired that, yeah that they oh, were right. plotting behind his back that's why she doesn't send it so it's it's she doesn't send the, it because she changes her mind no she doesn't no 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 she was never going to send it really yeah she that's why she wants to bring michael in later and loses a shit where she can't get in to show him the email that's saved on her Kimmy's computer i believe computer. the email's written for him to read yeah. not to be sent exactly Oh. She might change her mind. I'm not sure. Maybe you're right. But but certainly when she leaves the office, the, the email oh, is for him to read. I've got it so wrong. But then when she's going crazy later to get let back in, that's to delete it, isn't it? No. What? That's to show him the emails on the eve of the wedding. She's running out of time oh. to stop the wedding. So she's trying to get back in to show him the email oh. so that he then goes, my God. But I thought she changed her mind because then yeah, when I it all... It was to delete it. To I... delete it because then when it all goes wrong in whatever because he does see it and he's cross, she instantly crumbles telling Paul Giamatti <laughs> she's the worst person in the world. But you wouldn't flip so quickly. Your plan worked. It didn't quite work though because it's got... Like, it's gone to his boss, like, um, you know, at sports... I think sports. Here Well, no, because... I'll tell you why it sounds like I'm struggling. Because it has worked, but not how she intended. So it is very complicated. There was a chance that he might, that his boss, Eric, at Sports Illustrated, might have fired him. So it's complete chance that Eric decided to do the thing and not fire him right. for Kimmy's dad, yeah. but actually tell him what had happened, which she could not have foreseen. So it's a happy accident that it sort of worked out. Agree to disagree. Way. Agree to disagree. So what do you think's happened? What then? I just said. Which is that she always she she wrote it, changed her mind, saved it, then wanted to delete it to make sure that no one ever saw it. So was trying to get back into the office to delete it, and then when it all comes out, she didn't. She never wanted that. She changed her mind because it's too far. Oh, but yeah, that wasn't my reading of that at all. Okay, yeah, like you say, agree to disagree. Yeah, that's fine, and I feel, yeah. and I feel all right with that. Are you sure? I really do. 
You don't look like you're alright with her. She does this to, do? to me all the time. Oh Weird, my god! Weirdly threatening. <laughs> <laughs> the mouth, the mouth is saying I'm fine. The eyes are saying I'm not. Oh really? <laughs> That's not true. The eyes are saying you're wrong, and I don't want to embarrass you. But no, that's not it. <laughs> See, I told you I'm hard to be friends with. I said that to you before. That was in the outfit chat. This is why people don't want to come for a drink with me. I tell you what, when you're on your first ever drinks with the. the School mums, yeah. I, don't out, accuse them of lying. The, the outfit's great, but you don't want to be sort of staring at them, going, "Agree to disagree," oh, while your eyes are saying you're wrong. Yeah. I think what we can agree on is the email plan and the way it plays out is a little bit messy. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, it's it's overly complex, um, but it is nice to see Paul Giamatti having a cigarette. Sure, <laughs> why not? Yeah. And it's but it's a really great moment though because you need a moment of self-realization for yes. her and and for uh, for her to sort of process exactly how far she's gone over the over the edge and yeah. and he's a lovely little presence in it. I know, and it wouldn't have worked, but I thought it was gonna I thought it was gonna be really funny because she just said, "I don't come. I'm a terrible person. I ruin people's lives. I, I I get them fired and all of that." And then when she gives him the cigarette and he has a drag, I wanted his manager to come around the corner <laughs> and go, "You're fired for smoking." Oh, that would have been funny. That's a good idea. So, we get the awful moment which we've discussed where Michael is broken, he's told Kimmy the wedding's off and he uh, finds out that the wedding ring is stuck on Jules's finger and how to get a wedding ring off when you're in a hotel room which has a bathroom and soap. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> you suck it off. It blew my mind. It's horrible. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I wrote three things. A, it's inappropriate. B, it's fucking weird. And C, she's just had a fag, so her finger stinks. <laughs> it's like, it literally, it's like sucking tar. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's disgusting. Yeah. Literally just put out a cigarette. It's just such a sexual thing to do. And like you say, so unnecessary. So why does he do it? What is it? Is he basically, like, because he immediately, because you think he's going to go, shall we just go get drunk or something? Like, something's going to happen and he's yeah. feeling like he needs to just... Well, Break everything, destroy everything, but he does. He goes. I just want to be on my own after sucking your finger. <laughs> have a little think about that by myself. <laughs> Is he quite a confused guy? And was that phone call to Julianne at the start of the film so that she could come and ruin it, wreck his wedding, so he wouldn't have to go through with it? Like, well, I wonder because is this something a very he wants point, deep down? Yeah, she's like, we're best friends. We tell each other everything, and we had a crazy month together. But you're not that best friends because he's only just told you he's getting married. So if he wanted no, you to... he's been calling a lot. She's been really slow to return. He's been calling oh, for like yeah. two months or something. Yeah, she's been doing... I'm still I'm too. still wondering if they are best friends though. Is it... Because uh, there's a difference between best friend and someone I banged at uni. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of this suggests it's someone she banged at uni. <laughs> yeah, and actually, do you know what? In that phone call, because go, he goes, I want someone to hold my hand and then yeah. he sucks her hand. So there's a correlation there. Oh, is that what she says? Mm. Oh, man. I fucking banged at you. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a few, I can tell you. <laughs> oh. Oh, mm. All right, moving on. Come on. So we're at the wedding now. I'm genuinely excited for this climax because I, I just want to see how it's going to end. I'm genuinely excited for who's going to, how she's going to ever be forgiven, how it's going to come out, how the truth is going to be revealed. I think it's it's done a lot of work, the script, in getting us to this point while still leaving massive question marks mm -hmm. over it. We finally come back to the one reference to Jules's job as a food critic. She compares Kimmy to creme brulee and herself to Jello, and then Jules finally tells Michael and kisses him, mm. and Kimmy sees. 
And we get that famous shot from the trailer, which I think a bit like the poster is a little bit misleading, where you see them all running across a lawn together and it looks yeah. like such a lark. It does. A real farce. It does look like a farce, yeah. But again... You that know, is a funny scene, though. It's, it's a, a funny scene. Yeah, it's a funny sight. Yeah. And then when she steals a bread van, brilliant, because mm. in every single rom-com, by law, Car you have chase. To chase. Mm. And so how are we going to do the two. chase? There's <laughs> two in the wedding planner. Yeah, and this. so how are we going to do it? We'll do it in a bread van. Why not? You yeah, can do what you have, like at this point. Let's have the car chase while Harry Shearer's doing a book reading. <laughs> yeah, that's, why is that? Very, very strange. Because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really pay off in any way. He's just standing there. <laughs> yeah. I think that was cut short because I think there must have been something that didn't quite work at the end of that book reading. Like just a line from Rupert Everett where he just sort of turns around and they're all watching him. Yeah. It, like you don't even see their faces, like their anger or anything. I think something was chopped there so can we just talk about quickly because I alluded to it before but so when Julia Roberts is saying to Cameron Diaz you're creme brulee that makes sense Cameron Kimmy is super sweet and it's a fancy more expensive rich dish Mm. yeah but she's like I'm jello and it's like you're not though because you're Julia Roberts and I do not buy it and a lot of the stuff in like when she's like oh I never hug and stuff like that I think she's miscast she is this film and so it's a it's an odd thing to think but I don't buy that she's this slight I think the film's too scared to make her gothy but they are hinting at a little bit of grunge she only ever wears brown grey dark green until she's dressed by Kimmy and then she's in Mm. bright colours and she's meant to be a bit emotionally unavailable and all of that and I think so if you look about like like who could who else could have done it and I think it would be a different film and all the rest of it but that person I would you would more uh, closely align with her and identify with her if it wasn't Julia Roberts because it's hard to believe that no one that Julia Roberts would even get to 28 and and all of that and, and not be uh, besotted with someone and, and already But is it not sort of... important to still kind of like her even though she's doing horrible things? And that's because she's then... so beautiful that's how the film works because she is Julia Roberts so, but I think if it was I think it should have been Janine Garofalo because then she's beautiful but she's still that, she's got that edge where you would buy into that character but even someone like Uma Thurman like Julia Roberts is just so so You're just doing the cast of The Truth About Cats and Dogs <laughs> Oh yeah shit, I love that film <laughs> Janine Garofalo's Ben Chaplin in this she's, bloke. Oh my god, I love that. She's <laughs> really brash though. Like she speaks her mind. I, like, yeah. I don't I think I can't, I think, I can't see that at well, all. I don't know. And then well, all <laughs> then agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but then when you talk about Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore might have worked more in the main role because there's just a little bit of a rough edge that I think you might need. Or Julia Stiles even from Ten Things I Hate About You. But not Meg Ryan, not Sandra Bullock, not in a million years. Are you kidding? Sandra no. Bullock would have been perfect. Sandra Bullock would have been role. perfect in the wedding planner. <laughs> but, no, but, I really think I think she'd have been good because she's so fundamentally likable. Yes, and therefore you'd forgive her all yeah. these awful things. I know what I mean. It's, that's why it's, that's why it's not my change, but it's just something I was thinking. Hmm. It's like it's hard to buy when she's going. I am jelly. You're like you're clearly not. So either pick a different but dessert. We've had them eat. Like um, there's a line at the start where. Michael says, I'm not comfortable around rich people. And yeah. then we have the scene where they're both eating hot dogs sitting on some stairs um, mm-hmm. to sort of show that they are sort of kindred, like whatever, working class spirits compared yeah. to Kimmy. Like it does, it sort of sows the seeds that they're not privileged. I think that's yeah. the only difference that the film is trying to make, that Kimmy comes from money mm. and Julia and Michael have common ground in the fact that they don't. Okay, I see that now. But yeah, I mean... She's just not ordinary, is she, Julia Roberts? She's extraordinary. So jelly. She's meant to be, I'm, right. I'm cheap, I'm widely available, <laughs> I'm popular with kids. I don't know. But, but anyway, she's not jelly, so 
Uh, one of the great lines in the film now, uh, where she's on the phone to George and it's the chase and George says, Michael chases it. Michael's chasing Kimmy. You're chasing Michael. Who's chasing you? Perfect Nobody. Get it? Line. There's your answer. Nice yes. one, Bass. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Anyway, we end up in a train station. We get a, a mucus-based speech. Um, don't like that. No, it's. I don't like this because I've been waiting for this moment to see how is, when he finds out that she sent that email, mm. how is he going to forgive her? Mm. Like, And the film fluffs it, in my opinion. It's just like he goes sort of, goes on and on about sort of flattering. Com- yeah. He, go, he, go, he has a go at her. He insults her. And then goes, but it's sort of flattering. Mm-hmm. And that's enough, apparently. Yeah. yeah. you And he's not even cross. It's, he doesn't seem cross. Just seems a bit put out. Yeah. Which is, this is this is where it all starts. But it just to leans into this idea that he has absolutely no personality whatsoever. So he's not going to show any emotion because he's just an amoeba. Mm. Chatting about pond scum. Yeah. Well, talk about what you know. Write what you know. <laughs> if you're an amoeba. Scum. So there's a, uh, in my opinion, a bit of a cheat here in the script, um, which I don't know is to do with this scene being reshot. But when Jules is looking for Kimmy, she goes to the party, she calls the party, and one of the vengeful sluts uh, <laughs> says, I got a crank call from the White Sox Stadium saying someone saw her crying into her nachos in the luxury box. Yeah. It's just <laughs> convenient. It's um, convoluted yeah. and not very convincing. But as you say, this this was a reshoot, so So it's the bathroom scene that they uh, reshot. Uh, the studio agreed to pay for this reshoot. Uh, PJ Hogan uh, says uh, the first bathroom scene didn't work at all. The way it originally played was Cameron's character just forgave Julianne almost immediately. I remember on set, Cameron kept saying, I don't know why I'm forgiving her. I just want to punch her. She almost ruined my life. Uh, Diaz says uh, if Kimmy didn't stand up for herself, it felt like a very different end for the story. It wasn't as gratifying. Yeah. So the studio um, allowed them to reshoot it. I feel, it's very clever, this. I feel that um, as the audience, we we do need to see Jules punished in some way. Yes. And we do also, for the movie, have to have Kimmy and Michael forgive her. Yeah. So it's a public shaming. Yes. It's the fact that it's a public shaming where Jules is there while uh, the gang, it's like a witch trial. Yeah. All the women mm. gather round and tut and like curse at her. And you're like... Yeah, that's hor- That's horrible. That's really awful. And that feels like the punishment we need as the audience to then be sympathetic towards her. Yeah. What do you think? I really like it. I, I lo- But it's... It makes you. It's the same with the like the way that when he with the finger sucking thing, you you look back on his behaviour when Julia Roberts says to Kimmy to Cameron Diaz, "You've never trusted something like you've never trusted me," mm. and then you're like, "Oh, now I get it. Like, of course you didn't. Like, you're not this naive." child that you've presented as you've kept me close because you know you keep your enemies closer kind of thing and it's a good it's a good way because rather than like oh and this you know the scales fell from her eyes and she has this moment she's like i've always known something was wrong Mm. so i've been doing my best to like get in front of it and now here we are kind of thing i think it's the line where she goes she's like i made you my maid of honor she's like you have to know me for eight minutes yeah exactly because you you can see both sides (laughs) like who does that Mm. yeah so I do think there's a slightly missed opportunity where Jules has already said, um, or it's been alluded to, that Michael didn't kiss her back. And here would be an opportunity for Jules to say he didn't kiss me back. Mm. And she doesn't do that, which I think would be a, a really good way to close mm-hmm. that doubt loop. Um, but it works, I guess. I don't know. Would you, if you were Kimmy, would you forgive 
Julianne that quickly. I might forgive it, but I don't think I would invite her to the fucking wedding. I think that's that's and enough to get you barred. And then I probably wouldn't ask her to make a toast at the wedding. No, if you if you have to be there, yeah. you sit down, stay out of the way, <laughs> and I don't want to fucking see you. You're not you. going to fucking trust her to not do something batshit crazy at the fucking wedding. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. she's, she's wholly forgiven by the time she gets up to do the speech. There's not a moment where it's like, what's she going to say? During the first dance, she runs out and starts trying to hump his leg. <laughs> <laughs> like a... Dog. <laughs> He's kicking her off. Still trying to carry on dancing, I pretending it's normal. She's my best friend. It's fine. I wouldn't put it past this woman. <sighs> yeah, because the whole wedding thing, I'm just like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, the speech is awkward and sort of like, yeah, he picked the right woman, I guess. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Spe- speech written by Julia Roberts. <laughs> she wrote that toast. Really? Yeah. Uh, actor. Writer. The answer's A, actor. <laughs> uh, and then just, I just, I, I'd be interested to know if you can tell me why this is, why this is in the film. Why does, why does the film end with her going, I'm going to lend you mine and Michael's song for your first dance? Unbelievable. It's horrible. And then she sits there and stares at them while they dance to Michael and her song. What about the song she sung at karaoke that they bonded right. over? Yeah, that would exactly. have been a great payoff. I think in my memory that is what it was. And yeah. she'd gone to the trouble <laughs> to weirdly tell the sisters to do it and it's a call back. And, and it, but it's not. No. It's not right. It's disgusting. <laughs> <sighs> then she's alone at the wedding. Uh, so... The original ending at this point, you know what the original ending no. is. So the original ending, it's online, it's on YouTube. Is uh, six minutes of it. But uh, after uh, Michael drives off, it's uh, John Corbett, aka Aiden from Sex in the City. Oh, taps Julia on the shoulder and goes, uh, "Do you want to dance?" Yes. It's like, <gasps> yay! Oh, she's gonna find. He's, they're gonna <laughs> fall in love. It's a happy ending, and audiences went, "Go fuck yourself." Why? Because they hadn't forgiven Julia. Oh, she doesn't deserve. They okay. didn't feel like um, she deserved to find happiness so quickly after what she'd she, done in the film. She sure. tells him no about three or four times, um, but George is on the phone and keeps telling her to go and go and dance with him. And then yeah. so she does end up um, dancing with him to "I Say a Little Prayer." <laughs> and then the song ends with it's sort of them all dancing all the all the characters we met dancing on the dance floor but then weirdly the camera pans through to the kitchen and all the kitchen staff are like a gospel choir mm-hmm. and they sing I Say a Little Prayer for quite a long time <laughs> and the film ends and so it was I can see why it didn't work on multiple levels <laughs> <sighs> Uh, so to remedy that situation, uh, Bass got together with the film's director and they came up with the conclusion that we have um, this. Uh, they understood that what made the picture rare was that in this moment, the guy who she relied on, who was closer to her than any boyfriend, was what would comfort her and not some stranger she ended up dancing with. So, yeah. Uh, the studio uh, called it the $40 million reshoot. Um, Hogan said to them, but it didn't cost $40 million. And the studio exec said, that is what you've added to your box office. Oh, right. <laughs> so they were big fans of this new ending. Uh, Rupert Everett goes Bond, Jane Bond mm. at the end. Uh, he was mentioned uh, mm. by a fair few people as Pierce Brosnan's successor to Bond. Uh, he said himself of it, the producers would rather drive nails into their eyes. Mm because he was gay. Mm. They would never give it to him. George does... It's quite weird that George flies in and then flies out 
It's and a then shame. flies in again. Yeah, he flies it's, out it's... to go and see Harry Shearer <laughs> and then flies back in again, which is it's, a shame. In the yeah. space of three days, that's that is shame. a lot of travel. They need to find... It It makes him seem like a great friend because of the back and forth, but I wish there was a way of keeping him in the city. Yes. yeah. Indeed. Uh, so, in 2016, uh, Ron Bass was talking about turning this into a TV show. Uh, he says, I don't know much about what Michael and Kimmy might be doing now. Hopefully they're happy in Chicago. But... He would like to have explored Jules and George. Uh, so they wrote a pilot for a TV show. That was 2016. It hasn't uh, happened yet, I'm going to say optimistically. But it was the idea that they lived in New York uh, together. A bit like Will and Grace. Yeah. Mm. Oh, gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> oh, gimme, gimme, gimme. Did, did you see... <laughs> Kathy Burke, yeah. <laughs> did you see the EW video they did with them where they asked them what they think all their characters are doing now? I did, yeah. You got I can't remember. Uh, Everett thinks George is now a chief mortician. <laughs> uh, brilliant answer. <laughs> Cameron, Cameron thinks Kimmy's suffering from empty nest syndrome, that they've had kids and they've they've flown the nest and that she needs a new purpose in life. Yep. Uh, uh, the Dermot thinks that um, Michael is just playing a lot of golf. <laughs> okay, that's Bla- a shit answer. Bland answer for a blind <laughs> yeah. character. And um, Jude Roberts thinks Jules is now a marriage counsellor. Because those who can't teach. <laughs> that line is in the wedding planner. Yeah, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's all showing down. Uh, all right, then. Uh, any more for any more? No. All right. Uh, let's do the proposals. <laughs> Best scene, Chris. Uh, the karaoke scene, um, I think... Uh, I'm going to agree with Rupert Everett here. He says, it's an amazing scene because it turns around from being ridiculous to suddenly being incredibly moving. Michael and Kimmy fall in love more and Julianne becomes more isolated in her plotting. And so I think it works on a bunch of levels. Victoria. Uh, the end dance, George on the phone, then George being there, all of that. It is, it's just good. Like, I can't believe it wasn't in there in the first place because it's perfect. Mm. And I think apart from the line where he says, you know, they might not be married or they won't be sex. It's like, you, you can take that out. Like, let's not cast her out to like a celibate life just because of what <laughs> she's done. But it's brilliant that he's like... I don't know. <laughs> I like that. Get her to a nunnery. Like, you cannot trust her yeah. around anyone. Yeah. You missed your chance. This was it. Yeah. And they, I mean, all those tropes of like the gay best friend at the wedding, it's fr- like from this film. So it isn't, it's now quite a reductive thing to do to have the heroine end up in the arms, no one says that, of like the gay best friend. And for the gay best friend to have no interior life and just provide comfort to a woman, a straight woman. Um, but in this film, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> so it's fine. And he just, you would just so much, he looks incredible. Like when he sat there at the table and he's like, it's me, you'd be like, brilliant. Like, thank God you're here. You're a brilliant friend. And I would much rather be dancing with you than doing any of this shit. Mine is the uh, wishing and hoping song over the titles. <laughs> I really liked it. It was a, it got me into this movie and made everything else more fun. What is your or who or what is your MVW, your most valuable whatever, Vicky? So it's nearly Cameron Diaz because she almost steals it because she just does such a good job of being annoying and perfect and a little bit desperate. But then, you know, her story, her arc is great because as she finds her power, because she does want to go to college and then she stands up to Jules and all of that, like... From a character who instantly you're supposed to be very irritated by when she's like, Yum, I've never had a sister. Mm. You'd be like, Oh my God. But it's she, not Cameron Diaz. It's not Cameron Diaz, it's Rupert Everett. Oh. It's, it's his film to me. Because I crucially think Julia Roberts, although she is this film, she's miscasting this film, it just is him. Like it, it gets better when George comes back. Mm. He's He makes the ending, everything he says is perfect and on the money. And without him, I just don't think it would be anywhere near as good as it is. 
Chris? It's like when they used to talk about The Rock being franchise Viagra. Mm. Yeah. And he's like comedy Viagra here. Yeah. In that the whole thing sort of pushes up a gear. Uh, but as you picked him, I'm going to pick Cameron Diaz. Because uh, I think it's a toss-up between the two of them. But how she manages to be non-threatening in this film, looking like she does yeah. and being like she does, I just think... It's because they give her terrible hair. That's a fact. Yeah. But but as you said, in the in the space of like 20 minutes, you've got the scene in the lift where she's vaguely threatening. You've got the scene in the karaoke where she sort of charms everyone and you've got the scene where she's crying at the dinner table. And it's it's just a hell of a lot of acting. Uh, for all the reasons Chris just said, Cameron Diaz is mine as well. I think she's absolutely brilliant. The range, the range she has in this film. Brilliant. Change, Chris. What would you change? I mean, there's there's five pratfalls in this film. Is if it? you're going to have that... Yeah, I'll count them. Okay. It's fine. We don't need to go through them. But if you're <laughs> going to have that much slapstick, if a woman's got a ring stuck on her finger, you've mm. got to have some scenes of her trying to get the ring off before old Sucky Suck Suck comes over. <laughs> sucky Sucky Suck Suck. Um, but also, I, I think it's... I found it weirdly um, frustrating at the end that we don't actually resolve what's going on with Kimmy and Michael and his job and her... Life, oh, yeah, I don't I think. That, yeah. Is he staying at home so she can finish school or is she off travelling with him so he can enjoy his job? It's such a big part of the film. I'm I'm just amazed that they didn't give us uh, a conclusion to that storyline. Yeah. V? So the idea that, that you spoke about before about leaning into Michael and Julie, Jules have come from no money and Kimmy's come from loads of money and even Ronald Bass was like, I went to a big society wedding. So let's stay in the big society wedding. Let's stay in the four days of the wedding planning and this corporate espionage boring subplot is transplanted and becomes Jules ruins the wedding preparations. And so she's got this idea that Michael is only into Kimmy because he's got this big fancy wedding on the horizon. And actually there's not much to their relationship. If she can ruin the wedding, he won't have enough love for her to replan the wedding, basically. So she's this a, is big... a big rewrite. Yeah. This is a big <laughs> rewrite. This isn't a small change. I can get on the, the Ronettes, can't I, by now? If you're listening, I mean, I'm not 30 anymore, but I look it, so it's fine. Um, so, yeah, she. Agree re- to disagree. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good callback. It's a good callback. You can't be on the Ronettes because you're not a girl. Um... <laughs> it's a good comeback. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she like you know she's a food critic. She ruins the food. She ruins the plans. She just does little rom com stuff that it writes itself mm-hmm. to ruin the big day. And ha 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 ha, whatever hilarity ensues. I do. I like that because it would be quite transportative as well. That idea of being trapped at yes. a wedding as yeah, well. I love Things that. like that being yeah. enclosed in one location for the whole thing. Yeah, I love stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, great. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what Ron Bass uh, admits that he would change. Uh, this was uh, an interview in 2017. He said, uh, um, <laughs> mainly, I didn't make enough of her job as a food critic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> and uh, he feels that Jules's fake email wasn't quite evil enough. <laughs> so he'd have upped the evil. I mean, this is that. a trouble because were people in 97 so bowled over by the tech? I know I was. That it was like, we will watch someone write an email because <laughs> we won't tolerate that shit nowadays. Mm. Uh, I personally uh, would uh, agree with him. I'd put some more food critic stuff in and I'd take out the finger suck. Uh, Other than that, I do think it's a really good script. Uh, So that is My Best Friend's Wedding. Lovely. Shall we do a quiz? Let's do a quiz. Okay. I'm going to start with an email. More emails, more um, tweets coming in in support of the quiz. We haven't had a get rid of the quiz email yet. Really? I'm going to read out an email that did come in before we do the quiz. (laughs) Uh, this this email comes from Jake in Sendai in Japan. 
who says, Hey all, I hope you continue to do the quizzes as they are one of my favourite parts of the show. I love the tension that creeps into the podcast as Alex and Vicky gear up for Chris's questions. <laughs> I can almost see the smile on his face as Vicky and Alex fight over the answers like a couple of raccoons going at each other for a discarded <laughs> slice of pizza. That kind of genuine friendship is what makes the podcast special. Keep up the good work. It's so funny because there is, no one can see it, but the minute someone says, well, let's do a quiz, we move away from each other. I always like smooth down my clothes because I'm like, just get ready, get ready. I lean away from him because I don't want to be anywhere near him. And then let's see, now I'm going to sound really quick, but go on, carry on. Okay, this is, thank you. Uh, this is a quiz about celebrity marriages. Okay. So I'm going to give you the name of celebrity. <laughs> yeah. And I want you to tell me how many times they've been married. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to I'm going to ask you the first one, and we're going to go back and forth, and okay. you'll see how it will work. I've got a point system figured out for this one. Okay. So the first celebrity, uh, Vicky. How many times has Jennifer Lopez been married? She has been married three times. Two points to Vicky. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. How many times has Martin Scorsese been married? God, he doesn't frequent the pages of Heat magazine very often. So. Isab- Isabella Rossellini's one of them. Okay. Give you a bit of a clue. Oh, that's nice. Uh, twice. Uh, it's incorrect. Vicky, higher or lower? Higher. Correct. One point to Vicky. You've always got a starter marriage under your belt, haven't you? So. Uh, Demi Moore, Vicky, how many <gasps> times has Demi Moore been married? Four times. No! I've got to take your first answer. Sorry. Incorrect. Alex, higher or lower? Fucking it, lower. Correct. Yes! Point to Alex. <laughs> Alex. Yeah. How many times has Gary Oldman been married? Five. Correct. Is that true? Five times, including Uma Thurman. Oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> Didn't know that. Vicky, how many times has Mr. James Cameron been married? Twice. Incorrect. Alex, higher or lower? Higher. Correct. A point to Alex. He's been married five times, including Gail Ann Hurd, Catherine Bigelow and Linda Hamilton. Yeah, I forgot about Gail Ann Hurd. Oh, I didn't. (laughs) Alex, you're one point in the lead at the moment and it's the final question. Oh. How many times has Zsa Zsa Gabor been married? Seven. <laughs> Vicky, are you going higher or lower? Higher. Correct, it's nine. <laughs> I knew it was nine as well. So that is a draw. So We both win. Hooray! <laughs> Our second draw in a Tiebreaker question. So this is a name. So this is first to say the name. Okay. Uh, who did Julia Roberts call off her wedding Kiefer to? Kiefer Sutherland. Correct. <laughs> Oh my, oh my god, I feel amazing! Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> who could cancel the who could cancel the quiz after that? She's crying. Listener, she is crying. Are you, are you okay? Has it been that long? Let's get her a glass of water. Something dislodged inside me, I swear to God. I just needed it so much. <laughs> Oh, wow. I can't be angry at that. Look at that. <laughs> well played. Well played, both of you, though. That was a close one. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> you are crying. That is insane. Why are you crying? It's... <laughs> 
I mean, Kiefer Sutherland's name has been said a lot and then tears, but not by you. Oh, oh, oh thank God. Thank God. Uh, to Jar Jar Kapoor. God love Right then. That is us done for this episode, ending on a high. Uh, let's look ahead to next week. They are my choices next week, and this is your clue for the pairing that we are going to be clashing on the show. Coming next week, if you hate horses, head to Hollywood. <laughs> if you hate horses, head to Hollywood. All right, that's it. We're out here. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods and check in with us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. We are back on Thursday talking The Wedding Planner. Bye-bye. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 